This is your other brother's podcast. It's like running through an open door. It's like finding what you're looking for. We've been waiting. We won't wait no more. We got a beautiful story. Every morning, on and on. We got a beautiful story. And we've only just begun. The best is yet to come. Welcome home, friends. This is your other brother's podcast. We're a community navigating faith, homosexuality, and masculinity together. From the Jewel of the Blue Ridge, my name is Tom. I'm so glad that you're here joining us on this fantastic show. We've got a we've got a good one, y'all. It's our other brother Ryan from the City of Oaks. Greetings, hello. Greetings! So good to see you, brother. And also joining us from that mighty mitten, that handprint of God, it's our other brother Ben. What's up, Ben? Hey Tom, greetings and salutations. Greetings and salutations. Uh, ben, are you under any snow yet? Have you gotten snowfall up yonder? Yeah, we've had a little bit of snow twice now. Nothing that has Dang. stuck, but yeah, it's pretty. It started, you guys. Winter's not only coming, it's here. Winter is here for some people. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here. This is gonna be such a fun show because I don't know who's keeping track or who's charting this or if this is gonna be, like if it's gonna be as obvious to to other listeners, but we are only having our second ever woman on the Yobcast today. This is historic. This hardly ever happens. <laughs> we hardly ever have women here. And I hope that changes. It's not like, I mean, we are, mm-hmm. we are your other brothers. And so it makes sense that there's a lot of men that enter these parts, but, but women are people too. They have something to offer. Well, uh- yeah, and I think women have a lot to say about faith, homosexuality, and masculinity. Masculinity too, for that know? matter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, so if you don't already know, by clicking on to your episode title by what you're listening to now, we're talking to Bridget Eileen Rivera, who up until, I don't know if this is true for you guys, up until a year ago, I just assumed her last name was Eileen. Because <laughs> on, mm-hmm. on Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, I don't know if she had other social media, but she was went by Bridget Eileen. That's how I always knew her. I had no idea what her last, I figured Eileen probably wasn't her last name, but that was like her, her pen name, her stage name, whatever. Um, but it has been revealed by her new book, Heavy Burdens, that her last name is indeed Rivera. And we're talking to her today. I'm so excited to be able to talk. It's always fun as an as a fellow writer, like to talk to other writers in this world and this community, and to just um, to pick their brain a little bit. Like I'm, I kind of geeking out a little bit just from that from that standpoint. But but she's a fantastic follow on Twitter. If you guys don't follow Bridget, um, if you're not on Twitter, I completely don't blame you if you're not on Twitter. But if you are, I I would recommend giving her giving her a follow. And we're gonna talk to her today. But before we get there, um, as we record this, you guys, Thanksgiving is approaching. Do you, do you, are you ready? Are you ready? This is what I wanted to ask. Um, there's a combination of questions because we did a Facebook Live in our community this week and I was asking them a lot of food questions like favorite Thanksgiving side dish or how, what is the best way, the proper way, best way to eat pumpkin pie? Um, things, things of that nature. And so you can feel free to chime in if you have any strong feelings, if you have any hot takes on Thanksgiving meals. But I also wanted to ask you guys, when you hear the phrase, happy turkey day, what do you feel? 
Turkey is my the the least favorite part of Thanksgiving for me. Agreed. So when you say Happy Turkey Day, I just picture eating like sort of dry white turkey meat. Gross. And I'd rather just be wished a Happy Thanksgiving, Tom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, kind of same for me as well. Whenever I think of turkey, I usually think of the the dry white meat. Um, but that's probably because I've always been overly concerned with weight stuff. Mm. But in the last couple of years, I've discovered the joy of dark meat in moderation. And let me tell you, it is lovely. <laughs> nice. Oh, I'm well familiar with the joys of dark meat and in moderation as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dark meat is where it's at. If you have to go turkey, the turkey route, then dark meat is where it's at. But, but I'm with you, Ryan. It is by far my least favorite part of the meal. So much so, in fact, this is kind of a, an 11th hour development, but um, I'm having a Friendsgiving at my apartment next week. And we haven't just started discussing Ooh. what the food options are, who's bringing what and what that's going to look like. But but if, if it's at my apartment and I'm in charge of like that main entree, which would be traditionally the turkey, I'm considering just doing a rotisserie chicken instead. I would personally enjoy that more. And I'm wondering if that will be mm -hmm. received well amongst my fellow friends who are who are giving with me. I, I I don't know. I haven't brought it up with them yet. This is the first time I'm vocalizing this idea. So I hope they're a fan of it because I'm not about to cook a turkey in my oven. That's not happening. Have you guys ever done that? Mm. That seems like a lot of work. Uh, you know, so one year for Friendsgiving, my friends and I did like a, a big like roast beef kind of thing in, oh, okay. in the oven. And that was just delicious. Um, beats turkey any day for me. Was it like a 12 hour process or anything? Cause that's the thing with Turkey. It's like, it just, I remember my mom doing it. She would like set it out the night before. And then she's like, have taken care of that thing for the better part of the whole morning and early afternoon. It just seems like an unnecessarily long process for a meat. That's not yeah, even I mean, that if, great. <laughs> if, if you want to smoke your beef or something, it can, it can be that involved, but we were just roasting it and that was pretty short, like an mm -hmm. hour or two. Gotcha. What do, you, what do you do up there in the Mighty Mitten, Ben? How Do the turkeys just roam wild? I mean, they roam wild here in the Jewel of the Blue Ridge. They I saw like 20 of them outside my neighborhood the other day. But what, what, about, what about with you? What's your turkey relationship? You know, thankfully, um, Marie and I have both have parents that are willing to cook. Uh, the amount of work involved in doing a whole turkey is just, it's not for me. Um, Definitely okay with eating food that other people cook. Uh, we did make a duck one year, and I totally botched the recipe, and it came out charred, blackened, and pretty much inevitable. So I'm content to eat other people's turkey. Oh, I think duck is worth a second try, though. I would like to try mm. that. Yeah, Thanksgiving duck. I'm for that. That would be fun. that would be fun. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm curious how our listeners and how our yobbers what their relationship with the food of Thanksgiving is. Um, we had a grand conversation this week on Facebook Live about the proper ratio of crust to pumpkin filling in the pumpkin pie. Um, spoiler alert for me: there needs to be as the less the less pumpkin, the better. Like that's that's just how I roll with with pumpkin pie. Like eliminate the pumpkin, add the crust, add the whipped cream, add the nuts, add the everything else. Because if there's too much pumpkin, I can't, I can't do it. Um, and these are the types of stimulating conversations we have in our community. So it was such a delight to have, to have with our, with our supporters here this week. 
Um, and before we start our episode, I wanted to get y- y'all's opinion because there was a video that made the rounds on the interwebs this week um, relating back to Saturday Night Live, an institution, mm. a beloved institution here in America for our international audience. Um, but there was a, most of the show is recorded live, but then they do these pre-recorded segments as well that they enter, that they insert into the show. And so there was one such segment this week on this week's episode called Man Park. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Are you? Are you rolling with me? I, I did watch that, yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, it very was, familiar. There are, there are clips, there are YouTube clips and things that enter pop culture that immediately, as soon as I see like the first 10 seconds, I'm like, this is for our community. Like this is, this speaks to something really central to who we are as a group of men, as a group of men who are sharing vulnerable things and being authentic or at least striving to be authentic um, amongst, amongst the male population. And so this clip, it was, it hit on so many points so many things. We'll put a link to it in our our episode notes. But it basically was taking the idea of a dog park and turning it into a man park, a place where men can like befriend other men and connect with other men in deep, meaningful ways. And it was so funny. Let me just read, like I I tweeted it, I posted it on my social media. Um, But let me read some of the voiceover because there was a voiceover lady speaking throughout the whole like three minute clip Um, and she said finally there's a place with man park it's like a dog park but for guys in relationships so they can make friends and have an outlet besides their girlfriends and wives it's not their fault masculinity makes intimacy so hard (laughs) (laughs) it was so so funny i it's one of my favorite things that snl has ever done up there with the if going back to thanksgiving um that adele do you guys remember watching the adele thanksgiving clip where like two families are bickering about like these super contentious things i think transgender issues came up and they're just like going at it and then this little girl starts playing adele's hello and then all of a sudden everything cuts to black and white and they're just all uniting around this song (laughs) it's just like snl has a way of tapping into what we're going through and i'm so grateful yeah there's a lot to unpack with that uh, the man park sketch. There's, you know, the the claim of it's not their fault that intimacy is so difficult, and and I wonder, it's not. Well, whose fault is it then? Oh, uh, or, um, or like guys in relationships. Wait, like, <laughs> what about guys not in relationships? Right. No, I zoomed and, out and said, yeah, this could be just for single guys too. Certainly in art. Yeah. Yeah. It's just- yeah. And. Early on in the sketch, I think um, one of the one of the actors is talking about how guys these days just put all of their uh, put all their investment, all their relational investment, all their relational um, like weight on like their girlfriend, and um, you know they have like little little clips of women coming home from work and the man is just like waiting at the door just to like talk. And she's like, no, I just got home from work. I need to, I need to relax and chill. And, um, and yeah, there's a lot to unpack there too with, uh, putting all your relational eggs in one basket. Yeah, absolutely. Ben, you don't put all your relational eggs in your wife's basket, do you? (laughs) No, definitely not. Definitely have to have other people I'm connecting with for sure. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. So highly recommend it if y'all haven't caught it. Um, again, we'll link it in the description. I think it's worth. I think it's worth a chuckle or two. I think. I think a lot of people would enjoy it. But let's move on, you guys. Uh, before we start talking to Bridget, uh, I wanted to remind people we have a Patreon mission. We're trying to get to 250 patrons, and you guys, last month we checked in with 219, 
and this month we're at 216. <laughs> and this has happened this happened in the past when we had a challenge where I put out a challenge and then immediately the next month we lost five patrons. So sad. I was like, okay, this is not going the way I, I was hoping it would go. She's just a reminder when we hit 250, there's going to be I've committed to doing some kind of stunt, some kind of out of my comfort zone experience um, to talk about on the podcast or record if it's video worthy. I don't know, like doing something that would generate a story. And I don't know what that is yet. And I'm still searching for ideas. So I've, I've thought about it this week that I need to be more intentional, giving, giving people outlets to tell me. So there are lots of ways to do it. If you want to email me, tom at yourotherbrothers.com, you can email me some ideas. If you're in the community, you know, you can post it lots of places, Facebook, Discord. Um, you can also call the Yob line at 706-389-8009 and call. And what should I do? When we hit the big two, the big 250, as they say, what should I do? Should I, yeah, tell me what to do because I want to do something to celebrate such a momentous occasion. So um, so hopefully we're back in the, is it the black? Back in the black, is that, that's good, right? If you're in the red, you're going downhill. And I think black means you're going in the mm -hmm. right direction, right? <laughs> it should just be green, shouldn't it? I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't make these rules. But um, but if you want to support us on Patreon, it would be so appreciated. Go to patreon.com slash your other bros for all that information. And what I want to do more often is clue in the listening audience because sometimes people have no idea what's going on in Patreon world. Um, and this is a fairly new development of the last couple of years, uh, not couple of years, last couple of weeks, uh, where on our Discord, a bunch of our Spanish-speaking followers decided to come together. And there is now a Spanish-speaking channel on our, Discord, on our Discord called Otros Hermanos, which is so great. And it's so funny because we have like six people on there. And I'll click over there any once in a while. I'm not like a huge, I can pick out phrases and words here and there. But like, it's funny because I'll just click over there once in a while to see if people are posting on Otros Hermanos. And I, it's inevitable. I'll scroll down just like a little bit. And I see, I see people, multiple people posting J-A, 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 J-A. When, which I just read, <laughs> which I just read as ja, 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 ja. but it's in Spanish. That's how you would say ha 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 ha. Like if something's funny, and so it was so cute because I just scroll every time. Literally every time I go over there, I, I just see ha 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 ha, but it's spelled J A J A J, -A. and they're all they're all doing it, and it's just really adorable to to just have no idea what's going on, but something apparently is really funny, and they're all getting along really well. And I just wanted to encourage that if there's people listening to this podcast, if Spanish is your native tongue, or even if it's not, but especially if it is, if English comes more difficult, if it's a little harder to listen or to read some of our podcasts, um, that's something I'm going to start putting out there more is that we have this small Spanish community. And I think, I think there's other Spanish speakers in our midst, but they just maybe aren't aware that this is an option, that there, there are people speaking Spanish in our community now. So that is an option to people. Um, if that appeals to you, yeah, you can check out your other brothers on the Patreon page. And I also wanted to give a shout out to our book club. This is something I'm going to be more intentional about for sure moving forward. Because um, a lot of times people don't know the books we're reading until like maybe two and a half weeks before the thing, before the assignment is due, before we start reading. And um, and so I want to like make sure we tell people what we're reading this month. And Ryan, you'll be pleased because the book we're reading this month is one that you suggested um, back in the day, whenever the heck I asked for recommendations, it's probably like a Ooh. year ago now. But um, we read a C.S. Lewis work last December to celebrate Christmas. And so I thought it'd be fitting to go back to the C.S. Lewis well. And we're going to be reading Till We... What is it called? 
Till we, I was about to say, I was about to say, till we see faces, but it's not. It's till we have faces. Till we have faces. Till we have faces. So we're reading that for December fifteenth. Mark your calendars. Um, our book club is open to anyone pledging fifteen dollars or more per month, and it's completely open. I've had people ask me like, "Can I just pledge for that month and then cancel my pledge or deduct my pledge after that?" And that's totally fine. Like Patreon, you're free to do whatever you want. You can cancel, deduct, maximize at any time. Um, and so if that book or if any of our books moving forward appeal to you, um, yeah, feel free. Join us on Book Club. We usually have 10 or 15 people every single month. And it's an like one of my favorite things we do, honestly. It's such a great focused discussion on these books. So um, till we have faces, December 15th, we would love to see you there. Can I just jump in and yes. say that Till We Have Faces is probably my favorite book in the world. Are you, so are you serious? I, Yes, no I'm very serious. Oh my gosh. So no hyperbole. I'm very excited to talk to the entire internet. Anyone who listens to this <laughs> podcast, please join us for book club. I was going to ask you, since it was a book you recommended, I was going to ask you to give a shout out for this book. So that's, I had no idea though. It was your favorite. That's news to me mm-hmm. and it's good to hear. So um, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to talk about that next month. Um, and I wanted to mention this. We mentioned on our last podcast that Henry, someone who podcasts over at the Life on Side B podcast, really active and participates in the Revoice world. Um, we mentioned that it was still early. It was breaking news when when he had some when he had like a health crisis. He had a heart attack, and there was still information coming in. And when we recorded our episode last time, um, since that happened, we posted a link to his GoFundMe. And you guys, his GoFundMe raised over a hundred thousand dollars. Like incredible support from coast to coast and no doubt abroad around the whole world um people supporting henry and so we'll post that link again if you want to support um the effort but it seems like he's doing well i've i've read quotes from him um that said by it's like a miracle basically that he's even alive that someone gave him cpr after he had a heart attack and he's had a couple surgeries and now he's on a wait list for a heart transplant and um, and so there's still still a ways to go, but the fact that he's still with us is incredible. And the fact that so many people have reached out and support financially, spiritually, and otherwise um, is huge too. So we're continuing to send love to our brother, Henry. Hope that everything continues to work out well and, um, and just celebrating with him that, A, that he's still with us and still alive, but then also that he's got all this all the support as well. So, so there's a link as well for his GoFundMe if you would like to add to that support. And finally today, I don't know that we ever said at the top, but we said what Bridget's writing. She's, she wrote a book called Heavy Burdens, where she talks about the burdens that LGBTQ Christians face. Um, but what, I, what we have to do now is talk about what's sponsoring this, this episode, this discussion. Um, so thank you, Millstones, Millstones for... <laughs> anchoring truly if ever if ever a sponsor anchored an episode this is is millstones millstones um let me read a little scripture for you guys matthew 18 6 english standard version but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin this is jesus speaking of course it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And I was finding I was trying to figure out what is the etymology of this word like when it's used in the context of something bad, something heavy, something burdensome, for lack of a better word. And it turns out that the Quakers kind of originated this idea of something being a burden. You know, the the word comes up in scripture and and Jesus talks about um, being drowned in the sea if you lead a little one astray. But, um, But the good old Quakers kind of made the modern day context of when something is a millstone, it's just, it's, it's a burden. It's something that's 
hard. Wait, are you telling me the Quakers invented a method of execution where they would tie a millstone <laughs> to somebody's neck and toss them into <laughs> no, the ocean? No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying the the current um, idiom or colloquialism or whatever it's called when you when you're referring to something being a millstone and referring to it as a burden that the Quakers several hundred years ago started using this is what I determined okay. from my research. Because yes, it was a form of execution back in the day. But we don't use that anymore, I don't think. I don't think when we when we say millstones today, we're not talking about execution. We're talking about just something really being bothersome. Well, you know, Bridget actually brings up a millstone incident in her book in page 183. Um, somebody's wife was practicing believer's baptism, and as a punishment, they tied a millstone around her neck and drowned her in the Danube River. So, that's you know, right. it's still part of history. I totally mm-hmm. forgot about that. Wow, it's so fitting. Millstones are so happy right now that they got a shout out in Bridget's book. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Bridget's book, also sponsored by Millstones. Thank you, Millstones. <laughs> For all your hard work. Also used to, I should mention, also used to crush grain or corn. <laughs> that's that's probably that's probably what it was originally made for. And we've just t- totally darkened this very productive device. But oh well. <laughs> right on cue, Bridget's here. So let's get let's get Bridget in the room. Bridget, what's up? Hi! I'm good. How are you guys? So good. Hello. And you brought a cat. How fun. Oh my gosh. I did. I hope he uh, um, is not disruptive during (laughs) this because um, it's... It's the time, it's not quite his dinner time, but it's the time of day where like it's almost dinner time and he and my puppy start getting really feisty. Mm. So I actually put my puppy away in her kennel so that she could just like, cause in the past, whenever I've done, um, podcasts at this time, she is just going berserk in the background, course, barking, yeah. fighting with my cat. Uh, so she's away this time and hopefully we'll be quiet and hopefully my cat will behave. <laughs> no worries. And they're probably, we'll be good. <laughs> they're probably confused too with the time change. Like they're probably expecting food at a certain time and it's like an hour later now. Like, I oh, think that's yeah. probably when the, thing. Yeah. When we went through the time change, um, they're, you know, they're used, they're used to the new clock now, but the first week it was a nightmare getting them to accept when they'd be eating. So, yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time. It'll be fun to talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everybody. So super excited to have today's guest. I don't know if she's aware of this, but she's only the second woman to ever appear on this show. So she's breaking breaking boundaries. (laughs) And I hope I was saying in the intro, Bridget, I really hope that this is a change that I hope we have more women on the show, even though we're predominantly a male audience, like um, Mm -hmm. there's amazing women, whether they've written books or not, we're going to talk about yours. Um, But you're, you wrote the book, Heavy Burdens, Seven Ways LGBTQ Christians Experience Harm in the Church. Um, And rather than read off like your Amazon author description, which I could do right now, I figured I would just turn it over to you if you just want to introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about you if they don't know who you are. Yeah, so uh, my name is Bridget Eileen Rivera. Um, As you said, I I wrote a book called Heavy Burdens. And uh, the book 
I guess kind of goes into uh, the experiences of queer people in the church and um, just what it's like basically to be queer, specifically focusing on um, why so many queer people in the church uh, end up um, having traumatic experiences that uh, for many lead to suicidal thoughts or to dying by suicide. Um, and so uh, that's kind of one of the things that I, I guess the, the major thing that I focus on in the book um, and the theme that I open up with. And uh, then I kind of just explore the causes of that, why this is happening and uh, why that needs to change. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thrilled to be part of your little early release, whatever it's called, like a pre-launch team. And it was really cool to get in <laughs> advance and to read it. and. Um, and I've been following you on Twitter for several years now. Um, and I, I was telling the audience in the intro, like, I think you're as solid of a Twitter follow as they come. I think if people if people choose to invest in the the wonderful world of Twitter, I think you're you're someone that I would recommend following. Um, in addition to the content, I think you have a fantastic handle, Twitter handle. And I was going to ask you, that was like one of my first questions to get to know you was traveling none is your Twitter handle. What does that come from? Does it have meaning? Surely it does. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah. The, so the name comes from almost 10 years ago. Um, I, I had had um, a different name for my blog uh, previously um, that I had uh, I guess I had started my blog in 2008 um, and it was under a different name and I can't even actually remember the name that it used to be anymore. Um, and then I started feeling like, I guess, uh, some of the, I guess, themes and directions of my life were changing. Um, and so I picked Traveling Nun, I guess, as my moniker, because I felt as if it um, spoke to where I was in life and where I felt like I was headed. Um, I, I guess the nun part, even though I'm not a nun in the Catholic sense, um, I really felt called to a lot of the things that are true of uh, monastic life. Um, just in terms of, uh, feeling called to celibacy, um, uh, feeling called to, um, just, I guess, work, uh, within marginalized communities, um, and, you know, really feeling called to submit, um, you know, all of me to, um, obedience to, um, whatever the Lord had for me in my life. And so there was just a lot of just feeling as if there was just a lot of those themes that were true. Um, and at the time I just, I was really feeling, um, like, and I still feel this way. Um, I'm on a journey when it comes to faith and I'm, you know, growing, um, but it's a, it's a journey. Um, and so, you know, I, I am a sojourner in, um, I guess, uh, an alien country in a lot of ways. Um, and just, you know, in terms of this world. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, I felt as if that kind of spoke to that. Yeah. Well, the word traveling, sojourner, you use a lot of words that just really speak to my soul. I'm sure a lot of people listening too. So I've just, I just always appreciated that handle. Thank you for sharing a little bit about that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, 
before we start diving into the book, I wanted to mention like a couple of us, we were talking before we started recording. I remember meeting you for the first time at Revoice 2018, which was the first conference. Yeah, that conference was such I remember a, that. It was such a whirlwind because it was the first time a lot of us from Twitter or otherwise, from Facebook groups or whatever, met each other for the first time. And so yeah. it was kind of this like whirlwind of internet personalities colliding. And, yeah. and <laughs> I don't know if you're embarrassed by this, but I just wanted to affirm you because I imagine, I imagine you had a lot of people wanting to talk to you and wanting to connect with you um, from following you on Twitter or other social media that you have. Um, and the fact that you took time, like we grabbed lunch with a couple other people one of those days, um, and you just wanted to learn more about your other brothers and, and there's other people with their own ministries that they were talking about things. And it was just so fun to just be able to have an opportunity because as great as the speakers are, and the speakers are great, they have great speakers and great programming. Um, I think the magic of those conferences are when you can connect with your fellow fellow brothers and sisters and, and siblings in Christ. And I think that is the the beauty of it. And so, yeah. um, so it was just fun. I just wanted to, to just let you know that that was really special for me to be able to connect with you at that, at that first revoice. Yeah. I uh, really loved getting to connect too. And that's one of the best things about revoice. And so, yeah, I totally remember, uh, that lunch and like, that was a wild lunch. Honestly, we like had so many different people at our table sharing like so many different amazing things that they were doing. And then new people were coming to sit down and sharing what they were up to. Uh, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed getting to know you, uh, during that time. It was really cool. Yeah. So fun. So fun. Well, I guess in, in, in as a way of uh, making the segue, uh, I was up visiting Ben in Michigan recently, and we were listening to this audio book just driving around the state, and uh, there were it was riveting. There were there were parts where we were just like screaming in frustration at some of the things going on, some of the stories. Um, we were pausing it to discuss, and uh, we just found a lot so much of the content to be very. Uh, very relatable um, and uh, very thought-provoking as well. So I've been looking forward to discussing this book very much. I appreciate that. Um, it's uh, uh, it's really cool to hear from so many queer people um, telling me how relatable the stories are. Um, and that was one thing that I really hoped uh, from this book that um, queer people would see themselves uh, represented in the book um, and the experiences that they've had and what they have been through represented in the book. Um, in some ways, I think that makes it hard for queer people mm -hmm. to read. Uh, but I'm also hearing from a lot of people that it feels healing to finally have something down that finally names what's going on. Um, and, um, that's been really cool to see because I was really hoping that that would be one outcome. Um, and I know for myself that, uh, for, for every story that I, um, did in this book. Um, I did an interview with someone, um, and uh, I did actually more interviews than the stories that are in this book. And I can definitely say for myself that having all of those conversations with different people and having them share their experiences in the church and what they've been through was just healing for me personally, um, hearing what, um, they've experienced and, um, how, you know, that worked in their lives and just, um, the stories they shared with me, it, it felt, 
affirming, uh, because I saw myself in their stories and I was like, I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you always know you're not alone. Uh, but there's something about finally hearing and seeing yourself, uh, reflected in another person that just, I don't know, it makes such a huge difference. Uh, so I found that to be true for myself. Yeah. And, and even the stories where I didn't necessarily see myself exactly because like, I, I mean, when, when I'm, if I'm honest, I've had a relatively easy go at things like as a queer person growing up in the church, you know, I've, I, yeah, I, I can come up with some, you know, some frustrating moments from my past, but the more I'm involved in, uh, in this field of uh, ministry and walking with queer Christians and getting to know them and hearing these stories, the more I realize like, wow, there's a lot of pain out there that I might not know about unless I listen, you know, hear these stories and engage with them. Um, you know, like b between like, well, I'm, I'm a, a, a white cis man. So that's part of, part of it. Um, but then also um, like just, I was, I just had a very fortunate situation like in, mm -hmm. in my church history, in my church past. And, um, and so I've been really uh, appreciative as well to, to just hear, um, hear more of the, the, the stories of what people have gone through. And it's, it's helpful to remember um, how much, how much work is, to, you know, there's to do. Yeah. There's, there's so much work to be done, <laughs> mm -hmm. but the work is being done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, slowly but surely people are becoming aware and are making changes. Uh, it's not, uh, I guess it's not an impossible goal. It's, it's happening. Yeah. And just spreading awareness, like the fact that you told all these stories, I think that's awareness and education is a huge starting point. I think there's so much yeah. resources available now compared to even five years ago to certainly 10 or 15 years ago. So I don't know. I think there's, there's reason to be cynical, but I think there's reasons to be hopeful as well. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. Just, um, I think with, with sharing a lot of the stories and the different elements behind them for, for some people, they're going to look at that and go, that element happened to me and it's going to help remove some of the gaslighting they've experienced in their churches being told that they're the problem. They're wrong for, for questioning, uh, the queer, air quotes, mm -hmm. teaching of scripture for, for even raising questions regarding what everybody has known for, you know, 2000 years of church history. Well, no. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's going to give hope to a lot of people in their experiences. Yeah, well, I, uh, yeah, that really, um, I really appreciate hearing that. And yeah, I think one thing that I think happens to a lot of people is uh, they go through something in a church. And one of the reasons why they stay quiet about it, they don't say anything, they don't push back is uh, because they believe that they are the only one this has ever happened to. Um, and so they don't actually think that speaking out, um, is really going to, um, make a difference, uh, because they're just one person, uh, and you know, what is that going to do? Uh, and you know, it's easier just to stay quiet. Um, they can grin and bear it. Um, 
But the reality is, is that if it's happened to you, it's happened to other people. Uh, and you know, there is a community out there, people that you are, that you can connect with, um, and, you know, doing something about it, um, not, you know, like you don't have to stay in a toxic church, um, is always an option, always something that you can do. Yeah. As a, as a fellow writer, like I wanted to get dive into a little bit before we start maybe plucking out some parts of the book, I wanted to get into your process. And I was really curious, like when this book, however it was birthed, I mean, you can even talk about that of how it was birthed, but, yeah. um, but there's a good mix of, I mean, there's so many stories that you provide. You mentioned that you interviewed even more people that, that probably just couldn't make it into the book for, for the sake of space. But, um, yeah. but like going into the book, like what was, cause you did, you included a lot of stories. And then there's also a ton of history that I found really fascinating that I didn't know. Like, I didn't know about Martin Luther's views on sex and things like that. Like there was a lot I learned personally just from reading your research that you did into this. And so I was curious about yeah. your process and then like to follow up on that, the book is called Heavy Burdens. Like, did it feel like a burden at times or throughout to, to write this book, collecting all of mm -hmm. these heavy, hard stories? Yeah. You know, you're the first person to ask me about the writing process of my book, um, at least the first on a, like a podcast like this. I don't think any other, um, podcast has ever asked me that. Uh, and so my writing process, it was a little wonky actually, because, um, right when I was about to start writing, uh, my computer died. Honestly, I actually, I felt as if, um, like, sometimes I feel like maybe this is just me getting too worked up, but there's another part of me that's like, I don't know, I can see how this maybe was going on. Like, maybe there was like a little bit of like spiritual warfare going on because right when I was about to start the book, literally everything that could go wrong technology wise was going wrong. My computer died. Uh, and I didn't have money to get a new one. Um, my uh, phone died. Uh, and I, so I was like without a phone, um, and, you know, had to get a new one of that. And, um, my website crashed. And so I was like needing to figure out how to get my website back up and running. Uh, like everything that could go wrong technology wise was just going wrong. And I was like, what on earth is happening? Um, and so I started writing the book on between my iPad, uh, or, uh, taking public transportation an hour and a half into my university to use the uh, publicly available or student available computers um, and typing it out on there. And so I actually, that's how I did most of my research for the book <laughs> was on my iPad and um, at the computer um, at my school. Uh, and yeah, it was, uh, 
I definitely would not do research that way ever again. <laughs> it was not easy. Um, but I mean, it worked. I made it, I made it work. And um, so, so yeah, I did most of my initial research um, and um, some of my initial drafting on the iPad and on the computer. And then eventually I was able to get my own laptop and then transfer everything over to there. Um, I was, I had so much anxiety the entire time that I was not going to finish and, uh, God bless, um, a couple good friends of mine who volunteered to be my accountability by reading each chapter as I finished it, <laughs> because I don't think I would have gotten it written if I didn't have them to write for, you know, because like you need to know that someone's going to read what you're writing. Um, and obviously, like I knew that I was like, you know, people were going to read this you know, once it was all done and got published, but that was like two years into the future, basically. And so it was very like, you know, abstract. So having a couple of friends that I knew were going to read it was really helpful, but yeah, I wouldn't say that it was a burden to write, even though it was very difficult. And I had a lot of anxiety as I was writing it. Um, I actually, you know, to my point earlier, I actually found it really healing. I felt like I was getting a lot of stuff off my chest, uh, finally. Um, so much of, you know, what I put down in the book had been just like sitting with me for so long. Uh, and yeah, you know, that had been burdening me for so long because I felt as if this needed to be told, like people needed to see, um, what I saw and like the, uh, this truth needed to get out there. And it was just, it was really a relief almost with each chapter that I wrote to like, finally put this down on paper. Um, and to know that this was finally going to be, uh, said, um, out there and put out there for people to, uh, finally wrestle with and grapple with. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was a relief. Um, it was healing in a lot of ways. Um, and finishing it definitely felt like, okay. Um, you know, it's, I've, I've said it <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, and I didn't say, I didn't say everything. Um, but I felt like at least I said, um, you know, a number of things that can maybe make some kind of difference. For sure. Well, I'm glad you persevered. Cause yeah, it was, it's a, uh, it's a fantastic book and I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad it wasn't. Cause I was wondering that as I read it, cause there's so many hard stories. Um, one that jumps out to me was, was one that you told of Dean because, cause we have a connection with Dean and talking mm -hmm. about how he worked at a church and was working in children's ministry. And then confides in his church about about his story about his sexuality and and basically framed to him to now basically they're going to transition him into another role within the church to protect yeah. his reputation so it's coming off as like we're looking out for you by moving you away from the children to be in another <laughs> ministry but then how is that received it's being received as oh they think i'm a pedophile or i could be especially at risk with the kids versus, mm -hmm. and you mentioned in the book that most pedophiles are straight. They're not gay or queer. And, and like, that's a story that definitely jumps out, not only for the personal connection, but for also just, I mean, that's just a hard story all around. And, and that's just one example. Cause unfortunately, unfortunately there's like, 
20 other similar stories of, of connection of just having a burdensome relationship with the church. And, um, I know if I was writing that book, I mean, there's, there are people that are uniquely gifted for, for this work. And so I know Bridget, you just, you have the disposition, you have the ability to absorb all those stories. Cause that was me. I would have probably just, I would need like a decade to recover from all of the <laughs> hard stories, let alone the ones you mentioned that didn't make the cut and didn't make it into the book. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, but. And like to, to Dean's experience, uh, yeah, that, oh, frustrated me so much what he had to go through what he had to experience. And what irked me about that, what he went through was that his church at every step along the way was framing what they were doing as supposedly for Dean's own good. Like we are, uh, transferring you from children's ministry because we don't want people thinking that you're a pedophile. Um, you know, we're putting you over LGBTQ outreach because we just think you're gifted in that area. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, don't want you doing this because people might raise an eyebrow. Like everything was framed as, um, uh, supposedly for his benefit, but actually all of it was as, you know, um, progressively policing him more and more and more and more until he, you know, he shared in his story how he got to a point where like legitimately every little thing that he did uh, was cause for concern, um, you know, to the point of like posting a picture of himself with a friend on social media and like, you know, he's being called into the pastor's office to explain himself. And uh, yeah. The, the number of times that I have, uh, you know, heard stories like that is just like too many to even count. That was something that he and I had connected over and I ended up writing a, a blog about my, my own experience there, uh, coming out to a pastor that I felt was safe, being pulled out of different areas of ministry as a result. And, uh, yeah, this question of, okay, well, who, who can I minister to that? And if mm -hmm. you're you're concerned about me being, uh, you know, in ministry with other with other men one on one. Mm -hmm. you know, are you putting me in ministry with women? Well, no, we can't do that because I mean, your story is not public, and it would look inappropriate if you were, you know, doing ministry with women. It's like, okay, so what are you going to do with me? And I felt very managed rather than mm -hmm. you know, understood or seen. Yeah, and I think part of the process for me there, the frustration was. I was pulled out and set aside, at least partially, because the pastor didn't know what to do with me, but then didn't want to re-engage in the conversation. So it was about making me safe or making other people safe from me, but not doing the follow-through work as well to try and understand and re-engage. Yeah. So frustrating and so common uh, in so many churches, unfortunately. Um, I think the chapter that I appreciated the most was burden number four, which talks about biblical clarity mm, and how yeah. often in, in our conservative church circles, we allow for so much complexity and nuance around other questions of sexual ethics and marriage ethics, like, like birth control or divorce. And, um, and it's not like we don't have opinions about those things, but we're, we, we make peace with people who don't agree with us. 
and yeah. we don't kind of uh we 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 don't get upset when people interpret the Bible differently from us. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet with uh, the ethics surrounding homosexuality or um, or the situations transgender people might face, like there's kind of this presumed clarity. Oh, the Bible is clear about this. And mm-hmm. anyone who claims otherwise is trying to get away with something, is mm-hmm. trying to, um, it isn't being intellectually honest. And I think that really helped me put my finger on something that has felt very unfair, but I hadn't, but I hadn't really, I didn't really have the language for that until I read this book. Um, and, and this is a question I promise. Um, <laughs> I, and so like, I think it's easy without thinking too hard about it. I think it's easy for a lot of Christians to feel like they have to find that clarity in order mm-hmm. to, uh, support these strong convictions. Mm. And, um, and I have, I have like strong convictions about sexual ethics and my own sexuality or else I wouldn't be making such, um, you know, such severe decisions about my life. Mm-hmm. But, um, and, and yet I think there, it is important to allow room for that complexity and nuance. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering, um, how is it for you? Like, how do you kind of allow for that complexity and nuance in these ethical questions while at the same time finding, uh, finding the strong conviction that I sense in your book. Yeah. Well, I, I think I see it in a lot of ways as just similar to other theological beliefs and doctrines that I hold. Uh, and so like, And I use this in my book and I use this often because I think it's a really good parallel Um, when it comes to the doctrine of baptism. Um, I, you know, have really strong convictions. I'm, you know, credo Baptist, I believe in believers baptism. Um, And, you know, I think that uh, professing believers should be baptized, not infants. Um, and so because I believe that I, you know, make certain choices around baptism for myself. And I, you know, I plan on having children. Eventually I want to adopt. And, you know, when I have, you know, my children, I'm not going to get them baptized, you know, simply because they are a part of my family. Um, and therefore by proxy of that, a part of the church, like, you know, I'm just not going to do that. Um, and you know, that doesn't mean that I don't respect other people. Um, and you know, don't, you know, I guess, value and appreciate someone who baptizes their infant child. And that's just not, you know, what I am convicted of from scripture. I mean, one thing that I uh, run into a lot when it comes to the topic of marriage and sexuality is this idea, well, if you believe that it's a disputable matter, then, you know, what's to keep someone, you know, 
from being faithful to, you know, if, if, if somebody believes in the traditional sexual ethic, what's to keep them faithful to that? If they know that it's actually disputable, um, if they know that they're not going to go to hell, uh, for, you know, believing something differently then you know, what's to keep them being faithful. And I just find that to be such a problematic mindset. Uh, because it stems from this idea that the only way to convince people to pursue a certain kind of life is if you are threatening them with hell the whole time. Uh, and that makes absolutely no sense to me because actually the best way to convince someone to pursue a kind of certain kind of life is not through threats, but through um, capturing um, their imagination, capturing, uh, you know, their sense of uh, something desirable, something worth pursuing, something that, you know, deserves their allegiance. Um, that's how you convince someone to pursue something, not with threats, um, but by, you know, showing them something that is worthwhile, um, that they see as inherently valuable. Um, and when you become convinced of the value of something, of the worth of something, um, you know, we are willing to, um, make all kinds of sacrifices to, um, you know, have something that we think, um, is inherently valuable. Um, and, you know, I think that applies to this question. Uh, you don't need to, you know, threaten people with God's judgment um, in order to get people to, uh, you know, seriously look at scripture um, and, you know, walk in obedience to what they understand God telling them. You know, I've actually, I've honestly never met a queer Christian that makes choices for their life based upon what they want. Any queer Christian that I have ever met takes the Bible incredibly seriously. Um, and their first priority is always obeying, uh, the Lord always is following Jesus, um, regardless of what that means. Um, and honestly, I find queer people to be, uh, some of the most devoted to following Jesus, um, queer Christians to be some of the most devoted to following Jesus than, you know, most other people in the church, because we have had to take so seriously our faith and we have had to work through it so much and ask so many questions. And so once, you know, so when we've arrived at a place within the faith where one we're staying and we're committed to following Jesus. Um, you know, that alone is like, wow, we really are serious because there has been so much working against us. Um, and then two, you know, we put so much thought into the choices that we make in our life. Um, and so when we finally make those choices, um, they are, uh, based on, um, so much more of, a um, purposeful seeking after God's will than really anybody else that I know in the church. Uh, and that's just, that's just the truth. It's just what I've seen. Um, and, 
I don't think that's often appreciated uh, by most people. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love what you say about um, you know we don't uh, we, we don't find our way to convictions like because uh, because we've been argued there you know mm-hmm. like we we find our way to our convictions because they're beautiful we we see beauty there yeah like it's I, I you know I don't maybe I'm just projecting my own sort of like um, uh, not you know my own sort of uh, ill-considered train of thought onto other people. But I, I, at the end of the day, I think we all kind of believe what we really want to believe. And, (laughs) um, and like, I find, um, I don't know. I, I just find that, uh, I, I wasn't really able to own my side B position for myself until I found, until I saw it to be good news Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 100%. Um, you know, the gospel is good news. Um, and you know, what we are invited to live out as a product of the gospel should also be good news mm-hmm. to, to us. And so I think that is just, is so true in so many ways. I think one of the things that stood out for me was, you know, kind of the conversation about masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. and this. Yeah. Okay, so what's the real difference there between a biblical man and a biblical woman? And if the only, you know, answer that the church can give is submission, have we really thought that conversation through well? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's conversation that's come up in my own church. And so anybody listening thinks that this is just a book for you know, LGBTQ Christians, there's a lot of stuff in there, I think, as well, that the church could stand to look at on marriage and gender as it relates relates to heterosexual people, not just sexual minorities. I appreciated that. Yeah, that was actually one of the things that uh, was, um, I guess, a hope of mine in writing the book was that there would be evidence in each chapter how these things relate not just to queer people, but to all people in the church, how these things um, intersect with other issues um, and impact other people's lives in the church. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, um, you know, what this is, what we're talking about when it comes to queer people, um, it's not just queer people, um, it's everyone. Even though these are harms from the church towards LGBTQ people, um, it seems like those harms towards LGBTQ people uncover harm that's being done to the rest of the church (laughs) in living in an unexamined life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. Well, I put, I put it out to our community that you were coming on the show today um, just a few hours ago, I normally I give them a couple days advance and I was like, oh man, we're recording with Bridget and I haven't asked them if they want to <laughs> ask her anything. And thankfully we got a few submissions. We don't have time to ask all of them, but I thought I would read one particular question because I thought it was insightful and it's tied to his own story. Um, so I'm just going to read the whole little paragraph that he sent and then, and then we'll just get you out of here on that. Um, so he said this and he read your book. Uh, he said, I'd love to hear your thought process on why you chose celibacy in the first place. I know you can, Mm -hmm. that might be tough to tie together in three minutes, but, um, 
But she says in her book that celibacy needs to be received as a positive response to our faith as we walk in relationship with Jesus instead of a coercive requirement in order to be in a relationship with Jesus. She says a bit later that a path with such profound lifelong consequences needs to be experienced as a product of freedom and not of bondage. As a celibate gay Christian who grew up in the church, I feel like when I originally chose to pursue celibacy, it was the requirement and bondage feel rather than the received as a positive response and product of freedom feel. But it has slowly mm -hmm. been morphing into the positive reasons than the negative ones. So I guess my question would be, did Bridget originally choose celibacy herself for its positiveness and own unique freedoms? Or like me, did she choose it originally as a required burden and later learn the positive aspects? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, to, you know, and the short answer and then the long answer, the short answer is that I did originally choose celibacy as a positive of life-giving thing for me. Uh, so that's the short answer. Uh, the long answer is that um, for me and my experience uh, within the context of church, uh, celibacy just wasn't even on my radar. Um, it was never really presented to me ever as being a, a, a life choice. Uh, it was only ever marriage. Um, and so really the only choices that I saw available to me uh, were either marriage to the opposite sex or marriage to the same sex. That Those were the only two options that I thought were viable. Um, and so um, I felt as if I was kind of torn between uh, having my faith on one side, but living a miserable life um, or on the other side, living, you know, um, you know, a life that had relationship and intimacy, but um, foregoing my faith on the other side. Um, and I, I know that many, um, it's, you know, many LGBTQ Christians are faithful to Jesus, um, and are married to the same sex. I, you know, I don't, uh, believe that you can't be a Christian, um, if you, uh, land on an affirming side on this theological question. But I know for me that the way I read scripture, um, the way I was convicted, um, I knew that wasn't an option to where I could embrace that and also be living at peace with my faith, um, because of what I read and how I understood it. So I felt just like torn between two options that really left me, um, you know, uh, just yeah, torn into on, on both sides. Um, so how does that all get to celibacy? Um, I, uh, first was introduced to celibacy through the queer community, not through the church, not through Christians, but through the queer community. Uh, and that really made a difference. I, I really believe that if the church had introduced it to me, um, uh, it would have been introduced to me as this really, really awful burdensome thing. And I like, I, I really don't know where I would be today. But um, celibacy was introduced to me as um, a queer uh, life, as a um, inherently uh, 
I don't even know how to say this, um, as something that just was inherently queer and inherently uh, beautiful and worthwhile. Um, I met someone who uh, was ace um, and I had never met an ace person before. And we started getting to know each other and uh, started to talk. And um, she started to talk about, um, you know, what she wanted out of life. And she talked about how she didn't want to get married. She didn't want a sexual partner. Um, you know, she didn't believe that either of those things were necessary to live a happy life. And it was actually really frustrating to her that almost everybody did think those things were necessary necessary to live a happy life because it was making it difficult for her to find, you know, a partner, uh, because, you know, she didn't want marriage. She didn't want sex. She just wanted someone that she could do life with a friend is what she wanted. She wanted a friend, um, that, you know, could be committed to her and they could do life together. Um, or maybe like two friends, uh, but you know, one friend would be enough and that's all she wanted out of life. She didn't want, you know, marriage, a nuclear family, sex, like she wanted a friend. Um, and that was like life changing for me, um, to meet someone who wanted this, um, I, it was like, so different and so wild. Um, and not only, uh, did, is this what she wanted? She talked so, um, I guess, profoundly about the problems uh, with a culture that was so sex obsessed and so marriage centric. Um, and I had never considered those thoughts before, because again, I came from a church context that was very marriage and family centric. And, you know, to hear her talking and like talking about the frustrations with that and then talking about the kind of life she wanted which was to, you know, she didn't want sex. She didn't want marriage, you know, like she didn't want to have anything to do with that kind of life. She wanted to have a friend and she wanted to do life with a friend. And I heard her talking and I was just kind of like, wow, that sounds actually amazing. Um, I kind of want that, uh, that like, what an incredible life that is. Um, how could I have that too? And so, um, I, you know, started thinking on it more and, you know, seeing how, uh, you know, this kind of life that I could pursue, uh, actually aligned so much with, um, my faith, um, and what I read in scripture, um, that was, you know, about what is valuable in the Christian life, um, and, you know, serving the Lord, um, and, you know, putting him first. And, you know, I started to, uh, you know, see how this life that she had described to me was so compatible with, you know, my desire to follow Jesus. And I was like, okay, that's it. This is, this is what I'm doing with my life. This is an incredible, um, you know, way to live. This is, you know, what an incredible vision, um, for just, you know, being a human being in this world. Um, and it will allow me to pursue Jesus, um, you know, and, uh, be able to follow him. 
and so, yeah, so that's how I arrived at celibacy. That's how it captured my imagination. That's how I saw it as being a beautiful thing. Um, and I really think it made all the difference um, that I encountered celibacy for the first time that way, instead of it being introduced to me through the context of a Christian community that only saw celibacy as this costly thing that, you know, was defined by pain and suffering. Um, and so I really, really think that if the church can maybe learn a little bit from queer people, from the ACE community um, about like, what makes uh, celibacy worthwhile and valuable um, and learn to talk about celibacy in a way that is life-giving. I really think it can make a huge difference in this conversation. Mm. Gosh, thank you for not stopping at the short answer. <laughs> you could have just stopped there and said, that's it. But yeah, it's so much wisdom. And I feel so vindicated because one time I tweeted celibacy is queer and like people yelled at me and I had, that was like the only time I've ever had to mute somebody for like yelling at me. Um, oh gosh. So if, if you say celibacy is queer, then yes, thank you. That's celibacy, all I need to do. Celibacy is queer. It is a... Uh, so queer um, and queer people need to not let it be arrested uh, by mm. toxicity. Mm. Yes. Well, the life, yeah, the life givingness that you speak of, it shows on your face and in your voice. And so thank you for sharing some of your vantage point. And I know we could have, we could have dived into like all kinds of chapters in this book, but um, it was so, so great to talk to you today, Bridget. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so glad that I got to talk to all of you. So yeah, thank you for having me. So your book's on Amazon. Is there, how else can people, if they want to get in touch or follow you, um, what's what's the way to do that? Yeah, so Heavy Burdens, Bridget Eileen Rivera. Uh, you can buy it wherever books are sold. Go on, give it a read. And uh, uh, my social media handle is at traveling none. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, and then you can also find me on my website, BridgetEileenRivera.com. And you can access my blog through there as well as whatever other information you're looking for. Sweet. Well, it was a joy. It really was. I hope it's not the last time. I hope we get to talk again soon, Bridget. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful meeting you. It was lovely meeting your cat as well. If for any YouTube clips that come out, you might see Bridget's cat wandering, <laughs> wandering the scene, <laughs> making, making yeah, an appearance. Unfortunately. <laughs> What's his name? His name's S time. And uh, he's extremely cranky right now because he wants his dinner. I know. He's like, enough already. Stop talking about celibacy. Yeah. It's time. That's a, that's exactly like he's actually legitimately he's sitting right next to his bowl of food. Dang, I don't know if you can is. see him, <laughs> yeah, but like sure there's is. his food and he's just sitting there like, where is my food? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll let, we'll let you take care of that then. We want him to be happy and fed, but uh, yeah, we'll <laughs> talk right. again soon, Bridget. Thank you. Okay. All right. Have a good rest of your night. You too. All right. Bridget Eileen Rivera. What a delight. She just, something about the way she speaks and the, like I, the, there are some people you can just see it on their face that their conviction comes from somewhere solid and deep. Like this isn't just a fluffy, sugary 
conviction. And I think it's fairly common as we touched on in the, in the conversation. Like it's, there's a lot of incredible faith in our community. And um, I don't know, just to see it on full force like that as, as she talks about this book and talks about her life was, um, was so great. I'm, I'm so glad she agreed to come on. Yes, agreed. I, I just, she, she just had so much to say. And that's not a criticism of like her, her like talking a lot or anything. I just feel like you can ask her about anything you expect to hear. Just like a lot, lots of really good insight, lots of really um, like fully formed, well-formed uh, thoughts about, about whatever you're talking about. She's thought through this, I mean, each topic in her book, and they're all kind of woven together and interrelated. And that comes out in, you know, when she's speaking as well. Yeah, it was lovely. Um, would love to hear how this conversation, and if you read the book, how the book landed with you, um, you can head over to our podcast episode page, otherbrothers.com slash podcast. Find the episode 87 post on heavy burdens um, and tell us any of the following, how this conversation landed with you, if you've read Heavy Burdens, um, how the book landed with you. Um, and in particular, is there any particular, because she, she lays out seven burdens. We didn't get to talk about all of them in the in the conversation today, but um, was there a particular chapter or a particular burden that maybe stuck with you more? Like, is there one that maybe hit closer to home than the others? And if you have a story to share, if you're comfortable sharing it on our site, uh, we would love to, we'd love to read it. We'd love to respond with it. So um, we always love it when you guys share how our conversations land with you. And a big thanks to Millstones for grinding out this episode. We what a what a great conversation. We've had some as 2021 winds down, we've had some incredible conversations this year. Um Preston Sprinkle and Gregory Coles, Bridget Eileen Rivera. Um, what a great what I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure this was like the last um, outside conversation we'll we'll have before the year closes. Who knows? The year's still still alive. We'll see what happens. But um, but I think if if that was indeed the last author we speak to this year, uh, what a great one to go out on. It was it was fantastic. So so thank you, Millstones. I don't know I don't know how to tie it back to Millstones, but uh, always as always, we love our sponsors here. Also, as we're on the topic of sponsors, Ryan Berger, we need to quickly mention that. Our last sponsor, AutoTune, had a field day with you, and it was <laughs> fantastic. It was a big hit. <laughs> I wish, listening back to that episode, at the time, I wish, I was like hoping for more of a reaction from us, but we didn't have the AutoTune happening live. And so when I was listening back to it, it was so funny, and then I was so mad at myself that I just played it off like, oh, he's just talking or he's just trying. But like the fact that we were able to make auto-tune happen on that episode with your voice was so delightful. One of the greatest joys, honestly, of this entire show, show's history. Mm, I just want I just want Zoom or Microsoft Teams to introduce like a whole auto-tune filter so I can just like yes. be auto-tuned on like an entire like work meeting. It was, yes, exactly. So auto-tune, uh, our sponsor auto-tune, if you can make that happen. Uh, we would be eternally grateful. Yeah, yeah. I think it's doable. It was surprisingly easy to figure out. I was I was worried that I had this idea to make you auto-tune that it would take like five hours to find a downloadable thing where I put the file over here and then has to come back to the... But no, it was like two clicks of a mouse and boom, Ryan's auto-tuned. <laughs> so we'll have to, we'll to auto-tune you or anyone else, Ben, if you want to be auto-tuned sometime. If, if you just want to be auto-tuned, let me know. 
We'll make it happen again. Maybe uh, that can be a new uh, Patreon tier. Like, we'll... <laughs> auto-tune only. <laughs> provide auto-tuning services. <laughs> the auto-tune only podcast. That would be a delight. <laughs> yeah, the auto-tune Christmas music extravaganza. Oh, the holidays are here, you guys. What a oh, great yeah. idea. And the next, re- the next retreat, we'll, we'll have an auto-tuning booth. Yes, there Just we go. Come and, come We're always looking for new ideas to keep that retreat. Like, how can we make it? How can we make the next retreat even better? I think an auto tune booth would be fantastic. Um, also, a piercing station. Yeah, yeah, piercing combination, piercing and auto tune. And henna. Don't forget, we need henna as well. Mm. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Like carnival now? Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll have a bouncy house. We'll do. We'll just have the whole thing at our next at our next yard retreat. Um, Ben and Ryan, what a delight. Happy Turkey Day to each of you. I Happy Turkey too, Day Tom. to all of our listeners as well. So for all your other brothers, my name's Tom. This is Ryan. And I'm Ben. Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow or the turkey finds a home. <laughs> See y'all next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Our show is edited and produced by Thomas Mark Zuniga. If you enjoy our show, consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Your Other Bros. We'd love to hear your story. Comment on this or any of our episodes at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Or share a story to play back on our show by calling us at 706-389-8009. You can also email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com or write to us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. Finally, if you'd like to further support our storytelling, community-building efforts, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly on Patreon and receive perks, like bonus podcast content, access to a secret Facebook group, regular group calls with fellow patrons and authors, and more. Visit patreon.com slash yourotherbros for more information. Until we journey next time, We're glad you're with us.